You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Well, I've just got to fade that theme down quickly because we have got so much to talk about. Faster my good evening and welcome, Howard Parkin. Faster my Judith, it's great to be here again. Well, I tell you, we've, you always send me a few suggestions of things that we're going to talk yes. about. But even I know there's lots in the news oh, that we so need. There's so much going on at the moment, it's unbelievable. Take it away. Right, well, we'll do what we always do, which is start off what you can see in the night sky. Now, I've been telling people for months that you can't look at the sky at this time of the year, and that's quite true, because we've just had beautiful weather, happening for the last two or three weeks? And um, as a result, the skies aren't really dark. But that does make it easy to identify some stars. And I want you all to go outside tonight after the show and look towards, well, look at the sky. Look towards the west, and you can't mistake a bright star a very bright star, which is the star Arcturus. And if you want to make sure you're looking at it, just look up from it to the right and you'll see the the handle of the plough. We'll talk about the plough tonight. So that's one of the brightest stars we see in our evening sky this time of the year. Now turn to the left and come about about 70 degrees or not quite a quarter of of a turn. And you're now looking towards the south, southeastern sky. And you'll see three quite bright stars. One that's highest up is the star Deneb. One below left of it is the star Alter. And the one to the right is the star Vega. Now, just for a minute, I want you to look at those three stars because there's something fascinating about them. Alter and Vega, which are actually slightly brighter than Deneb, the tallest or the, the top one of those three, are comparatively near to us, only sort of 100 light years or so. But Deneb is thousands of light years away from us, and yet it's still as bright as the other two just tells you something about how bright that star is. Now, when people say when you look up at the stars, you look up at the sky at night, and you see all these different features, and you just look at the stars, you think, they're all the same. They're not. Some are huge, some are small, some are near, some are far away. And it's just that one fact about Deneb being, I think the, the actual answer is it's 2,600 light years away. A light year, of course, how far light travels in one year. Compared to Vega, I think it's 70 light years away. Don't quote me as being accurate on that one. I'm, I'm doing this for memory. But that just gives you some indication of how powerful the star Deneb is. And those three stars I've just mentioned, Deneb, Altair and Vega, make up what we call an asterism of the summer triangle and the summer triangle is dominating our summer skies at the moment and even though the skies are light i mean when i leave the studio tonight i'll have a look up for it because it's a beautiful night again and we've been so lucky and even though we've got light skies we've got great bright stars visible so give it a go when after i I leave or after the show finishes or maybe when judith's finished maybe it's one o'clock in the morning i don't know and do have a look and see for yourselves these wonderful features in our manx night sky Thank you, Howard, for not encouraging people to go out <laughs> immediately. And look, that's very kind of you. <laughs> very thoughtful. Now, the, I have been trying really hard to find noctilucent clouds. Oh, excellent. Because I was quite fascinated by... I mean, I mean, I've, they were, until you started to talk about them, and I've never heard of them. But I really paid attention last month when you were talking oh, about this. Delighted. 
I don't know whether I think I did see some over towards the west. You know where yeah. I am in, in yeah, Sulby, yeah. and I've when I was out walking. Because I, I, I tend midnight, midnight time, toward, 11, well, midnight? I have been doing some late walking because oh, even even if I've been out doing something in the evening, I really like a breath of fresh air. So perhaps, you know, about 11-ish. Well, it um, was almost certainly would be because noctilucent and clouds are only visible after the sun's gone down hmm. and the sun is far enough below the horizon, but it's still illuminating these very high up clouds. Hmm. And if you think you've seen them, you probably have because they're so distinctive. They're not like ordinary clouds at all. They're like silvery grey. They're really, they're, the word is ethereal. They're hmm. really fascinating and I know for a fact that um, some astronomers up in Jerby and in Ramsey have seen them I've not seen them from Onken because I've probably not got enough of a horizon in the west um, but I do know my friend up in Scotland, Graham if you're listening Graham I hope you're, I'll give you a quick plug he's just come back to Edinburgh today and he's seen them from Edinburgh and I know Bill in Ramsey has seen them so you've almost certainly seen them and your timing is immaculate because the end of the noctilucent cloud season is the beginning of August they basically are visible roughly when we haven't got any official hours of darkness, uh, when we don't get beyond what we call astronomical twilight. And that officially ends on the 2nd of August. And while I was just waiting for the show to start this evening, you know the difference between sunset and sunrise um, on the 1st of August and the end of August. We have 10 hours when the sun is down at the end of August. We have 8 at the beginning of August. We, we gain an hour at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Just shows you how quick... We lose these beautiful, nice, nice light nights. And uh, by the end of August, we'll have some dark nights again. I probably won't be coming up here on my bike, Judy, for the end of August because it'll be too dark. Well, that's a relief. That's a relief because <laughs> I'm a thrill really, of a cyclist. I do. Well, I'm, I think that's no, I, I think you do have to temper it with. I, I know I, you enjoy cycling. I thought um, it tonight when I came up, I thought I won't be doing the bike next month. No, I, I think they probably a little bit too dark for that. But the, the, there is not, in terms of beauty, there is not a lot to choose between sunrise and sunset. No, no, the and and I think it would be true to say that these hot nights, it's it's quite difficult to sleep. And you, I think oh, we do yeah. tend to waken up earlier and just seen some wonderful sunrises. Oh, yeah, absolutely beautiful sunrises in the east. And they really are spectacular with the, the, the reddening of the sky and mm. all that sort of stuff. It's actually been a too clear of a sky, actually, to get these really clouds with the, the red glow in them. But I always get a buzz from watching the sunrise and the sunset. Mm. If you do see the sun come up, though, what you've got to try and do is see it go down as well. Then you can truthfully say you've had a full day. <laughs> you just feel like you've had a full day Absolutely. sometimes. But the other about the sunset, of course, the sunset is so quick. It is. It it, does, it's, it's, it's worth stopping and standing and watching it. And because have you it's... ever seen the green flash, Judith? The big pardon? The green flash. The green it's flash. The most, one of the most elusive astronomical, well, I say astronomical, phenomena ever. But I've never seen it. As the sun finally disappears below the horizon, mm -hmm. the final moment of sunlight just disappearing, you get a flash of green. Never seen it. And believe me, I've looked for it. Um, but uh, next time you see the sun going down, look for the green flash. I have stirred at the sunset. I've put cameras on it and all the rest. So one time you can look at the sun, I won't say directly, but you can yeah. certainly look in that area. Yeah. But just as the final sliver of sunlight disappears, you get a bright green flash sometimes. Has anybody explained what it might oh, be? It, 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 it's just pure atmospheric refraction. It's caused by the bending of the light and all that sort of stuff. It's very mm. similar to the, the idea that the moon goes red at a lunar eclipse and all the rest. Mm -hmm. It's a similar phenomena. 
And there's a lovely name for it. I don't know what the Manx name is for it, but someone once told me there's a Manx expression for it, the living light. Any of you Manx speakers out there, look up the word living light, and that's what the green flash is in Manx. But you see, this is what we keep coming back to. There is always something that you long to see yeah. or something that can't be satisfactorily explained or something where there's several different possibilities that it can be. And that's what makes it such a fanta- exactly. fascinating subject, I mean, isn't I've it? I've been very fortunate to go on cruise ships, as most of you know by now, and uh, the amount of times I've been on deck on a cruise ship watching the sun go down and a beautiful night, you know, drinking the hand, what more could you ask for? I want to watch the green flash. No, no green flash at all. And yet I know, I've, I've seen pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who took a picture of it down at the airport years ago. And uh, it's a photograph, but photographs aren't the same as seeing it, the real thing. So They always say the real thing is so much better. Yeah, of course so it there's is. A, there's a hint for people but to look for over the next few nights. But at least it proves that it has been oh, seen yes. on this island oh, and it could, it could happen again. Most certainly. Right, OK. Saturn and Jupiter. Yeah, I mean, a lot to talk about in the second half, but we can't let August go by without mentioning we've got the opposition of two of these giant planets in the solar system. You'll recall back in December they were very close together. Literally on the 21st of December last year, they were so close they were almost touching. Um, they're obviously miles and miles apart, or millions of miles apart, but Jupiter overtook Saturn in the sky because it goes around the sun quicker. Well, they're pulling apart, but they're both visible all night long. And actually, Saturn goes through what we call opposition on the 3rd of August, literally a week on Tuesday. And that means that Saturn is exactly opposite the sun and the sky on the 3rd of August. Not to be beaten, August follows on August the 19th. So literally 16 days have elapsed now since they were... Um, the, the 16 days between them, yet in December, eight months ago or seven months ago, they were close. So it just shows you how Jupiter going around the sun in 12 years compared to Saturn in 26 years, they're pulling further apart. But Jupiter is unmistakable. Again, light nights, not easy to see stuff. But as I leave the studio tonight, look over to the east. Anybody who's looked out of your window, keep the radio on, look to the east and you'll see the very bright Jupiter, unmistakable And not far from it, but quite a lot fainter, about as bright as those stars I told you about a moment ago, that's Saturn. If you've got access to a telescope, look at Saturn through a telescope and you'll see the wonderful, beautiful ring system of Saturn. Jupiter, of course, with its brilliant moons and hot from the press. Which planet is one of these famous astronomy questions? Which planet's got the most moons in the solar system? And the answer has been Saturn for years. Saturn's got 82. Jupiter's got 78. No, it hasn't. It's got 80. They've found two more, literally in the last week or so. So Jupiter's catching up, so watch this space for more details. Is that a pun? No, it wasn't meant to be, honest. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, well I'll now, take it, though. Two two people that I'd just like to, to talk to, if I may, just before we go further, Howard. And just because we like to have a little bit of interaction with the no programme. And uh, an email has just popped in from Roger and Pam. They listen in something in Sussex. Oh, hello. And they said, they said, please tell Howard we wouldn't be able to see a thing if we went outside tonight because it's pouring with rain. Oh, and, dear. And low cloud. But I'm really sorry for you. We haven't got so, a cloud in the sky in the Alaman. Well, but it may be better in something tomorrow. It might it? be. It may well and be. And just you, think how glorious their garden's going to be. With absolutely. An, with I could it. do with some rain but, in my garden, I could tell you. But, well, indeed. Nice to hear from you. Thanks for getting in touch. OK, Roger, thank you very much for that. We hope for a bit of better stargazing weather for you very soon. And I want to say good evening and I want to apologise to John, who listens in Shen Valley. And John very kindly wrote to us. He sent a lovely card with a question for you. Oh, right. And I took it home with me for safekeeping. 
And John, do you know what I've done? Oh, I no. have left, I have left it. It's on the windowsill. It's a lovely card. I thought I'll pop it on the windowsill and it won't get covered up. It won't get <laughs> overlooked. And John, I am terribly sorry. Forgive me, please, because I need. I want to read out your exact questions so Howard will know exactly what information you're looking for. So, John, we're going to carry that over to the next programme. I'm really sorry yeah. about that. We'll definitely do that next month. Please do. I, pr- I promise you. I'm so embarrassed about it, John, so I can be sure that it will not be overlooked. But it does, you know, worth mentioning that if you've got a question for Howard, yep. then get in touch with us please in the do. weeks before the project. You can email Howard. Howard Parkin at Manx.net. Yep, no problem at all. I'd be delighted to answer any questions on air. You can write to Care of Manx Radio if, if posting is e- easier for you. It's um, PO Box 1368, Douglas IM991SW. So you can drop him a line here at the station and Howard will include your questions in the next edition of the we'll programme. delighted to do so. So, John, thanks for getting in touch with us and just sorry that I got so attached to your card that I've left it on the windowsill at home. My apologies about that. Right, back to the uh, the Manx sky. Persid meteor shower. Now, yes. you're getting very excited about this, oh, aren't always. you, Howard? This is the best shower. Of, well, I say it's the best shower of the year. The two that vie for this title are the Geminids in December when it's cold and horrible and sitting in your garden with your thermals on and a flask of hot coffee <laughs> or in August hopefully in a deck chair in your garden with a glass of bubbly or whatever you want to drink and the Persid meter shower this year in particular will be one of the best because the moon is not going to interfere too much with it the moon is full at the end of August I think the exact date of the end of August is the 22nd uh, yeah 22nd of August is the full moon um, so the August the 12th evening of the 12th stroke 13th of August Go outside any time, well, preferably around about midnight. And I will almost, I've said this repeatedly, I will almost guarantee, and I've not failed yet, if you look outside, get your eyes attuned to the dark, uh, around midnight time on the evening of August the, tw- um, August the 12th, uh, you'll see two or three metres, almost definitely. And um, These are from the Perseid meter shower, um, called the Perseid meter shower, because this is where the metres tend to radiate from, which means you don't have to identify Perseus at all. You just need to be looking in the roughly the, the southeastern area of the sky, because that's where they will all radiate from. They come from a comet called Swift-Tuttle, and the impact of the Earth's atmosphere is something like 210,000 kilometres an hour. So you get a very bright flash uh, of a shooting star, and then they're gone. And remember Howard's golden rule, if two people see it, it counts. If you see it on your own, it it doesn't count, I'm afraid. So that means you've got to take somebody stargazing with you. Correct, absolutely right. (laughs) Well now, the last thing uh, before we hit our music break and uh, we've got a, a Waterboys track for you tonight... The last one is something that will make you even more happy because we're coming to the end of the period of no official night time, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. Astronomical Twilight finishes on the 2nd of August. We now have Astronomical Twilight will start on the 2nd of August at, I've just wrote it down, at 1.42 and we'll finish at 1.06 the following morning. So we have 36 minutes of night time on the 2nd of August and that's what made me look up the figures for the actual 1st of August to the end of August. And it's amazing how that lengthens. So mm. 
That summer over? No, hopefully not. No, oh, of mean, course it we, isn't. We, we, no, August, it, August is always a month of no, summer. No, no, it? it's not. It's not. Summer's not over at all. <laughs> for goodness sake, it's barely got. We're just, we're just, just getting started. But what it does mean is that it gives you a little bit of proper darkness, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, technically speaking, that means it's dark enough to see all the dark sides of the sky. And um, we always say the two things you need for dark skies are a, the moon out the way, and secondly, you need to be when we at least got beyond astronomical twilight, not existing. So roughly from the end of May to the beginning of August we don't get to get dark skies now of course August and the astronomy year always starts for most astronomers on the 1st of September we always say astronomy from the Isle of Man runs from September to probably the end of May so we've had our our break and now we're all running to go again but the interesting thing is that we might be on a break, but we've always got plenty to talk about. Oh, we've always got things to talk about, Judith. It amazes me sometimes how much we've got to talk about. Now, The Water Boys, The Hole of the Moon is your music choice for this it month. It is indeed, because it has a line in the song, which I'm not going to tell you about. I'll let you listen to the song and let us know if you worked out why this is our song of the month. Thank you. Well, we're going into space after this. Well, was that the magic word then? I saw the crescent, but you saw the whole of the moon? No, no, it wasn't. No, No, I can tell by the look I've got it wrong. Uh, 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 No, no, no. No. Try harder. 
Well, no, actually, what I really want, it's a great track, and I'm sorry that we've just faded it down, but we need to talk about everything that's been happening in space, Howard. Absolutely. Where do we start? I'll actually start with a story that you may not have picked up, but this was something that happened in June, and astronomers the world over were mortified. The Hubble Space Telescope broke down. The communications between the uh, various computers on board the spacecraft broke down, and they lost con- well, they didn't lose contact with it, but they put it into what they call safe mode because they had to fix it. You've got a telescope 150 miles up in space, no chance of getting to it. How do you fix it? The computers on board were manufactured in the late 70s when most of us had ZX spectrums and things like that. So this really was a huge problem for NASA. Um, they tried to fix it and couldn't. They tried repeatedly to fix it. And in the end, hats off, and I don't know who these unnamed individuals are, but someone came up with a plan whereby they could reroute the power supply from one instrument to another into the computer, and they fixed it last Monday. And the Hubble Space Telescope is now back, fully operational, and everybody's breathing a sigh of relief. Because it will happen eventually, but it will die, sadly. It will not last forever. It's only got limited supply. The gyros on board, which keep it pointing in the right direction. I think they've only got three left of the six they had on board. Um, But we're praying and hoping that it will keep going to at least the James Webb Telescope is launched later this year. And uh, the two will work in tandem for a short while. So that really was the most significant astronomy space news of the last few weeks. But of course, the thing is, I'm, I'm going around to something else that has happened in space, which has just hit the media and has been quite dramatic. I'm, of course, talking about the launch of Virgin Galactic with Richard Branson a week last Sunday. Big mistake he made, launching it the day before the, the, the afternoon before the England game. So the publicity was muted, should I say. But we'll talk about the football. But he went into space on the Sunday afternoon on his Virgin Galactic space plane, space, space, uh, space Plane 1, I think it's called. And, you know, there was a world record broken that day, Judith. Tell me, Howard. For the first day, first time ever, there were 16 people in space at once. The previous record in 1995 and in 2009 was 13. But you had six on board the Virgin Galactic, seven on board the International Space Station, and three Chinese Taikonauts, which is what Chinese call astronauts, on board the Tiangong-2 space station. So there you go, there were 16 people in space on the Sunday afternoon before the England game. How's that to remember? I tell you, I told you it was getting crowded up it there, didn't I? It's certainly getting crowded up there. But there's another story to that which we'll talk about at the end of it. Because this was something This was something that Virgin Galactic have been wanting to do. Richard Branson has had this plan to do this. And indeed, in a small way, in the Isle of Man, we had our own plan to go into space with Excalibur Almaz capsules on spacecraft, uh, which didn't actually come to fruition. But Virgin Galactic, Richard Branson, have been trying to get this organised for years, and they've finally done it. And all hats off and all credit to them. Cast your mind back, I can't remember it, of course, but cast your mind back to the early days of aviation when the Orville brothers first flew the Wright Flyer and all the rest, and then we had the barnstorming era of the aviation, and then eventually commercial um, aircraft took off. Well, we're now at a, a tipping point, I believe, in commercial exploitation of spaceflight. Yes, it costs a lot of money, but I, I won't guarantee it, but I certainly think in a few years' time, probably about 10, 15, 20 years' time, um, spaceflight will not be... Uh, common, but it'll certainly be a damn sight easy to do um, in the future. Sorry about that. <laughs> but the other great story, of course, was that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, he launched his new rocket, the New Shepard rocket. And people forgot why it was called New Shepard, because John Glenn, no, John Glenn, sorry, 
Um, Alan Shepard launched on his suborbital flight in 1961. 50 years ago, he launched, well, the Amazon rocket, the Blue Origins um, um, New Shepard, took Jeff Bezos and three other uh, astronauts into space for a 50-minute suborbital flight, and they came back down. And again, that's another great commercial um, exploitation, if you like, of, the, of space. But I regard this as the beginning of a different era, the commercial space flight, which has been going on for a few years now. We've even got our own astronaut on the Isle of Man, Mark Shuttleworth, who flew up to the, the, the space station some years ago. Uh, people have been doing that for a number of years to the Mir and to the International Space Station. But now we've got commercial vehicles by um, SpaceX, of course, have been doing it under contract to NASA. But now you've got Jeff Bezos's uh, Amazon and Blue Origins and Virgin Galactic. And all credit to them. And I do hope it keeps the public imagination going. And who knows what it might lead to. Maybe there'll be some budding astronauts sitting out there listening to Max Radio tonight, which maybe in 20, 30 years' time will be flying to Australia. The unanswered question to all this, Judith, uh, people keep asking me, what a waste of money. And the newspapers have been a little bit critical of Virgin, of, of Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. One of the great plans for spaceflight is suborbital spaceflight to take you from, we'll say, London to Australia. It only takes about 40 minutes in orbit to get there. So if you've got a spacecraft and go into space, then literally fly in orbit for a half an orbit or quarter of an orbit and then come back down, you could get to Australia in literally two or three hours. That is the ultimate goal, hypersonic space uh, aircraft or whatever you want to call them. But that is something that it will come and it will come in the not too distant future. So again, pun intended this time, watch this space. But but will it be will it be affordable? Will it be how how is it, it going to compare? It with, will with eventually because eventually the cost will come down because the ability to take more and more people, if, just like com- commercial aviation, the, a- aviation flying. When I was a young boy going to America, wow, that's what that's what the Beatles did. That's what rich people do flying to America. Now I do believe that commercial yeah. space flight has a future for tending people traveling around the world. Yes, it will be the privilege of the uh, the very rich and the very wealthy, the Richard Bransons and Jeff Bezoses of this world. But eventually, the price per flight will come down. I mean, Richard Branson's um, flights, I believe it's a quarter of a million dollars to do that. Yeah. But I th- it won't take long before, um, and such is technology and such is demand for these things. But if all of a sudden you could fly to Australia in li- literally a few hours rather than 24 hours, whatever it is, um, I think that would certainly uh, interest people, to be say. Yes, I, I think it would. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very torn in a number of ways and I'm I try to be careful to not sound like a, a, a dinosaur or a party pooper or whatever I I worry I worry about how this might affect the fine balance of of you know putting things into space a, a, a lot it, how is it how is it going to affect the delicate balance that is outside our planet and around everybody else's planet well are we going to find out too late what we've done to it? And and, and it's just a question. I don't have the technical I would say, ability. I, I don't. I'm not a... Um, I mean, you're talking about climate change and affecting the well, Earth anything, and the Gaia yes. hypothesis and all anything, this sort of yeah. stuff. But one thing that people don't realise is most rockets, and I'm not sure about Virgin, but I understand Jeff Bezos's spacecraft is powered by liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen. And basically, when you combine them together, they make water. And when you see these big rocket trails going up into the sky, that's basically water vapor. They mm. are not pollutants. Oh no, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about pollutants. To be honest with you, I'm talking about how, you know, in in the atmosphere, how how 
could that be disturbed? But as I say, well, I don't have the knowledge. Funny to, thing you to, say to, that, Jude. If one of the theories about noctilucent clouds is they're caused by meteor trails, and nothing to do with men, man, but uh, meteor trails mm. um, seed the upper atmosphere with the debris that the clouds form around, like mm. like you have a snowflake. Um, the beautiful idea that a snowflake is a beautiful uh, six-sided structure made from a tiny spot of something that mm. the flake forms around. And they think noctilucent clouds have a similar origin. And they, they wonder if it's meteoric dust or is it climate change? And the, the b- debate about the origins of noctilucent mm. clouds is a fascinating one, which is why we're so fascinated about watching them to record them and see if there's been an increase over recent years. So. Howard, we, we, as always, are beaten by the clock with loads of things to talk about, but I've got something really, really lovely to finish off with. And this is a text in a few moments ago from a gentleman called Blonde John, who pops into our lounge regularly, I'm happy to say. And he said, Hi, Judith and Howard, just to let you both know that I did see that very elusive green flash on Monday, the 18th of December, 2017, at the back of Peel Castle. It was extremely memorable. Wow. Thanks for mentioning this extreme event. And that is from Blonde John here on this island. Blonde John. I'm I'm impressed. So isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? It is. I've just got one very last thing to mention, Judith. We may hit the news this week. Watch this space again, third time, uh, because there could be a very important announcement about the Excalibur Almaz spacecraft and space station, which are still on the island. And there's going to be a, a story about them, hopefully, in the next few days. So, again, keep watching the media. Howard Parkin, as always, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Howard. And you will be back last Sunday in August with another look at the Manx sky and outer space. Faster my, Howard. Faster my, Judith.